I am so often now in rooms with with young Jews of color. I, I love a Jewish future that I can't imagine. I love them building something that we maybe we can't even see, but but that's relevant to them and that reflects who they are. I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman, and I'm so happy to welcome you to Hashidenu, a podcast about Jewish teachings on resilience. And I am so delighted to be joined by my co-host, Rabbi Sandra Lawson. Hi, Sandra. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Good. Always happy to be with you. Yeah, this is, this is uh, uh, since I started working with Reconstructing Judaism, having conversations with you seriously is the highlight. For me too. For me too. Um, and today we are joined by Marcella White Campbell. Marcella is the executive director of B'chol Shon, which is an amazing organization. B'chol Shon strengthens Jewish identity by affirming the racial, ethnic, and cultural diversity of the Jewish people through education, outreach, events, and trainings. Welcome, Marcella. Hello. Thank you for having me today. We're so glad you're with us. Yeah, we are glad. And uh, one of the things that I always try to do is I want to check in with my guests, our guest, and how are you doing? Um, I'm, I'm doing pretty well, I would say. Um, I think the world is opening up a little bit, and I'm tentatively poking my head out. Um, as an introvert, um, I'm, I'm pushing myself to go see the sun, and it's paying off. Yeah, I'm doing very well. <laughs> Yeah, I feel, feel you. That's sort of a re-emerging back into society. Um, I'm also an introvert, and it it does feel a little weird, at least from my from my end. Um, you know, having uh, conversations with old friends in person has um, for me been a little challenging. Yeah, and I'll join in just as the extrovert. I'm I'm loving it, and I'm exhausted. You know, mm -hmm. I, I lost a lot of stamina and a lot of capacity for it so that, um, you know, I, I'm, 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 I'm all jazzed up and so excited. And then I come home and I just have to, to lie on the couch for a while to recharge. And so and I, as an extrovert, I'm used to getting energy from people and I, I am indeed getting it, but I have to recalibrate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, my cave is very safe. Um, the, the past year, you know, when um, I, I know, again, I know a lot of extroverts who had their faces pressed against the glass, you know, desperate to go out there and touch <laughs> one other person, you know, um, <laughs> and I understood that. But last summer, honestly, when people were in the streets and we were really thinking about America and the foundations of America, you know, my son is 16 years old. You know, we have a multiracial Jewish household. My husband is white Ashkenazi Jew. My kids identify as black, as African-American. And I was really glad he was here. Mm. I was glad that he was stuck in here with his face pressed against the glass because I knew where he was. Wow. And, and I had never connected so much with that fear un, until last year. You know, him just, there's something about him turning 15 and coming towards 16 that really, you know, he's taller than me now, significantly, he still has to do what I tell him, but he is taller than me and looking down. And I saw him walking into manhood. Hmm. And it, it really made me wonder what I could do 
about the world that he was walking into. You know, we talked a lot about microaggressions, my kids and I, last year. And I, I had to, at some point, just separate myself from them and go and just cry my eyes out because I realized that I was conditioned to believe that microaggressions were just part of being black in America, just a regular part of being black. You know, they came to me with some things and I would say, you know, wow, yep, that's what it's like. And just keep going instead of, instead of challenging each individual experience or act, Um, you know, small things like, you know, the kids coming home and saying, people are touching my hair and me saying, you know, tell them, you know, tell them you don't like it, but not really sitting with that and, you know, asking them, do you feel uncomfortable? Why do you think that is? What can we do about this? Where does this come from? I, I did none of those things. I mean, even though this is, these are ideas that I think about for a living, I, I don't think I quite connected with them in terms of our everyday experience or the everyday experience that I was shepherding my, my kids along in. And that is why I began thinking about leadership. You know, I just became the executive director of Ahola Shown in January. We were talking about the leadership transition as recently as last summer. Um, I had always had a behind the roles, the, the scene <laughs> role in uh, Bahola Shown. I was working on marketing, working on you know, storytelling. These are the things that I love. I always wanted to be a writer. And last summer, I really thought I have a responsibility to my children. And I am part of an organization that is working to change this experience for young Jews of color. And I want to be part of that. I want to be active in that. I, I want to be out there talking to people about this and really being hands-on with change. So many things changed last year so rapidly. We, it really showed us that there were so many things that we thought could not possibly be changed and just took for granted that changed overnight. Because when there, when there is enough will, when, when there is enough attention, changes can be made. And I really thought, what changes can we be making? And what's really interesting, thank you so much for sharing that. You know, was, I've mentioned this to Deborah a few times and, and one, one of the things I really appreciate is one, in this role, I get to connect with other Jewish leaders of color who are in senior positions in Jewish organizations. And, and thankfully that's a growing number, it's still small, but, but growing. And one of the things I've, you know, I have uh, gotten language around is I was socialized to believe to 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 move through the world in a similar way that you just described. That's just the experience of being Black in America, and not really knowing that it was wrong, and doing the best that I can to try to make it better. But I was I've I'm socialized as a Black woman from a particular generation, and I now have been in spaces with young Jews of color who are you know awesome and use much stronger language than I would have ever used. And I'm like, I'm the old person now. Um, but one thing I want to just sort of bring up is, you know, for those of you who don't know, I converted into Judaism. And for me, one thing that sort of helped me sort of to, to grapple with racism is that racism in Jewish community plus its values was not jiving, it does not mix. And there was a, for me, a huge disconnect between how I was treated when I walked into Jewish spaces, how I'm, I'm treated when I apply for Jewish, Jewish positions with our Jewish values. 
And, um, and I'm working to try to get the Jewish community to recognize his values and recognize, or at least own his values and, and say that the way we treat Jews of color is, is not correct, not right. Um, but I'm just sort of curious about your own experiences um, and, and your kids' experiences in Jewish spaces and how you deal with that as a family. Um, well, I will say that um, early on, so I also converted into Judaism um, 22 years ago, I think it is now, like right along with my daughter being born. And my experience in the Jewish community is completely tied up with my experience as a parent, like raising a Jewish family is how I came into my Jewishness. So those early experiences with my family really, really colored everything else that came after it. And um, one, one thing I noticed was that when my kids were very young, they were not very brown. And when they went into Jewish spaces with my husband, they were under uh, what I call his white privilege umbrella. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I ask him, can I, can I borrow your white privilege umbrella for a minute? Please return this item to the store. But um, <laughs> very, very much um, covered under that. And he was just, they were experienced as Ashkenazi Jews. And then when I was added to the party, it changed our experience. You know, then there were questions, you know, if I was even a few feet away, kind of, you know, hey, what's your Jewish story? You know, which is a, such a well-meaning way of, of trying to get me to explain myself and explain why I am there. Um, I had one particular experience that really underscored that, which was that it was Hanukkah. It was very, very dark, very cold. And um, my husband and I were going to a Hanukkah event, you know, at our, at what was then our synagogue many years ago. And my husband had already gone in, you know, we're both coming from work. I have, you know, my toddler on my hip. She's about two. I'm with my sister who at the time was starting her Jewish journey. Mm -hmm. Um, And we came up to a a side door, which was where we, you know, went into the event and there was a guard in front of the door. So it was a glass door. We could see behind the guard, you know, all the little kids running around, all the tables set up with um, candles. I could see my husband. And, you know, we're, we're full of smiles, we're breathless, we wave, you know, can we, um, can we come in? And the guard is standing behind the glass and he just waved us away. That was his response, you know? And, and I'm standing there in the dark with my baby and I, I didn't know what to do. I actually didn't know what to do. You know, I think it may be that if I had been by myself, I might've just left. Mm. I've gone somewhere and cried. but. You know, I kind of was you know, sort of gently putting on the glassing, like I'm going into this event, like my husband is in there. And once he started to hear me qualifying why I was permitted to come in, then he stepped back and opened the door justifying and justifying it, justifying why we are coming to this event for children at the synagogue where we are members. And the thing about being a parent in these moments is I just immediately had to suck it up. I definitely could not stop and have that conversation with him. When my daughter is, you know, sliding off my hip to run and play with her friends and we're going to set up with our candles. And, and so I, I really was never able to talk about that. And, and I would say that honestly, at the time, once I got to a space where I could think about it, I was too ashamed to say anything to anyone. I didn't, I didn't want to say that I had had that experience, but one one thing that it, it really 
made me realize um, there's something that I think about and that I've been trying to work on with the whole show that I call the first touch. And what that means is that so often for Jews of color who have are, are either converting into Judaism or reconnecting with Judaism as adults, um, just like other Jews, their first attempt to reconnect with the Jewish community is life cycle events. See, see Sandra and me nodding vigorously. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, you know, bar bat mitzvah, a bris. And when you show up with your kids, and you have a negative experience, uh, most people never come back. Right. It's very different as a parent who is a person of color raising their child of color. We go out of our way to build innocence around our children. Our children are, are viewed as adult far earlier than white children. You know, uh, black girls as young as five, uh, people attribute, um, adult characteristics to them, believe they're responsible for their own actions, you know, that they are more mature than other children. And so we really go out of our way to make sure that our children can stay innocent, to protect them and to help them to have the same experience. Like if you talk to any, any black mother, you'd be amazed at the lengths that they go to, to stand ahead in front of them when they see something coming down the pipe, whether it's at school or they know how they're going to be perceived as an event to go ahead and pave the way so they don't know what's going on. So if you bring your child to a Hanukkah event and you know, you're, you're not me, <laughs> or maybe this isn't your synagogue or it's your first time and you have that one negative experience, you pack up your baby and you go and you're not coming back. Right. Yeah. So, so often when we talk about, you know, why are there no Jews of color here? It's quite possible that they showed up at, and at the door, they, they weren't let in they weren't allowed in or they could sense that they were not welcome and they didn't come back. So how do, how do we change that first touch? You know, I think it's so true with the racial equity lens. And it's, as you said, it's just true for folks who are seeking folks who feel insecure across the board that there's just so much that we need to do to invite people in rather than the way the guard pushed you away. I just mm -hmm. want to say that I want to share that, for me, one of the earliest like awakenings I had about the, the role that I could play in helping the Jewish community do much better in terms of um, in ter for, for, for Jews of color, making it more welcoming, had to do with kids, had to do with kids who had who felt totally embraced by their home communities. And that but but as soon as they exited them, they were suspect. They were stripped of their Jewish legitimacy. And just hearing story after story of kids who were most, of, in most instances, the ones when, when I first encountered them, they were adopted and they might've been adopted from China or from Guatemala or, or, they, or they were African-American and trying to make it so that it wasn't just a bubble, but that it was an entire community and that they could transfer from one Jewish community to another without it, 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 without having, so it wasn't the first touch for them, but it was the first on their own with the first yeah. without the protection. And, and that, that, but for me, that was the first, um, the, the, the first urgent before I, I met, um, a, adults, I, I was meeting kids and watching them get, get battered. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you know, this, um, I have to share a story with you that, that, so this, the story, um, it's a good story about the whole shown because, um, this parent, a white parent, um, has a black by a black adopted child. Who's now an adult, a beautiful, um, adult. Um, and the parent was calling me because she was in, in pain and we talked, um, this reconstructionist member of a synagogue and, um, the parent was like, I, you know, thought that she did everything right. She's, you know, there were no Jews of color in her area. So every year she sent uh, her daughter to Bechola Shon for summer camp or camp. You know, there's like some, summer camp is like uh, a camp that happens around Sukkot time and probably others I'm not aware of, but she would send her daughter there and her daughter loved it. The parent called me because the daughter was converting to Christianity and she was really hurt by that. And um, the daughter um, said that, she loved her time at Behola Shon, but she didn't want to have to fly 2000 miles or whatever to spend time with other Jews of color and, and the Christian community. She, she was around other black people and her mother's really grappling with that. And what does that mean? And, and, and wondering if she could do more. And we, pastorally, we talked for a long time, but that's really relevant. Like that Behola Shon is offering something that is totally needed. I know that I have advised parents and past to send their, their children to Behola Shon's camp. Um, you know, but this child, you know, had this experience, wonderful experience once or twice a year, and then would go home to an incredibly white community. And and I also imagine, even though her parent didn't say that, that that might have she might have had some racist experiences or some not so great experiences. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to just add that that like that. Um, yeah, we could we can we need to do better, and um, we need to. Um, you know, that, that I love that language of the first touch. And I paused for a moment because I just had a conversation with a colleague around when white folks, white Jews ask, where are the Jews of color? And his response is, they're in your day school. They're in your Hebrew school. Like these people are still waiting for these adult, Jew, adult Jews of color to come to the door and not paying attention to who's actually in their Hebrew schools. Right. And we have so much work to do to, so that they they rise up and don't have the a repeat of the experience that Marcella had with it, you know. So. Oh yeah, we just, um, I don't know if you'd heard about the Pew study that was just released that showed that 15% of Jews under 30 identify as Jews of color. And, and that nails it, they're, they're already here. Yeah. And they, they are here and they are the future of the Jewish community. Yeah, I, I was sitting with my son um, the other day who is around more again because of COVID. And I was looking at him and I said to him, you're going to be a Jewish elder. Like you, you are going to be a Jewish elder, which he did not like. I but he is. <laughs> he is. <laughs> you know, these, these young people are the future of the Jewish community. And if they don't feel that it's a community that reflects their values and that makes them feel that they belong, they will take all those amazing talents and energy someplace else. Exactly, yeah. 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 And, and that's, that's, actually, that's a frightening thought. And it's, it's a devastating thought. You know, they're, like you're saying, they're already here. They are in the Jewish community. We, it's not about bringing people from outside the Jewish community, it, they're here. And this is so exciting, like, you know, for people to shift over from anxiety 
about the Jewish future to excitement about this Jewish future. That's part of it is, is awakening curiosity, awakening relationship building, awakening excitement. It's going to look really different than it did in the past. And that's only great. That's only good for us all. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's it's so great. And and just like you were saying earlier, Sandra, I am so often now in rooms with with young Jews of color mm-hmm. and, you know, in a household with young Jews of color. And last year I had to learn about humility, mm-hmm. which is not something that culturally I was raised with as a parent, but to really listen to them because their perspective on what was happening was so different from mine. Um, they they taught me about language that I thought I already understood. They, they showed me perspectives that I would not have had. And don't we want that in the Jewish community? Don't we want their lens trained on everything that we do? It's, I can't, I, I love a Jewish future that I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. I love them building something that we, maybe we can't even see, but, but that's relevant to them. And that reflects who they are. I, you know, I worked um, on a college campus and I learned so much in that time from the young people that I worked with. Um, and there was a young black woman who had a strong Jewish identity. Um, her parents contacted me about all the stuff that she was doing in school. She was a biracial kid, black, dad's black, mom's white. Um, and uh, I talked to this young lady and um she never came to Hillel. I was fine with that because we had a relationship. I had coffee with her, lunch and all that. But her mom, you know, was like, she's not engaged like she was at home and she's not doing this. And and I said, you know, your your daughter is engaged. Like we she I, she knows who I am. She has my cell number. We meet and we have coffee. She's like, really? I said, yeah, your daughter is very proud to be Jewish. When I said there are a lot of competing interests on campus for young people and your daughter has that Jewish box checked. The reason I'm bringing this up, and I told the parent, I don't, I wasn't in the habit of sharing information, but sometimes, you know, like, um, I I wanted parents to know certain things. So this particular young person, when no one was really speaking up for Black Lives Matter, I mean, students were speaking up, but she organized a whole protest after a Trump rally came through campus, organized faculty, staff, had senior administration speaking. And I said, that's her Jewish values, whether she'll admit it or not, (laughs) that's her Jewish values. Oh, I love that. Yeah, because that, that's coming through. that's that's part of her and and that's and we have we have to all be true to that and true to our responsibility as jews to uphold those values and and to recognize that they're there for all of us you know we all have the right to demand that absolutely um so when 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 um i'm gonna shift us a tiny bit um i think we should we should talk a little bit about the shown and then i want to little talk about how it was especially exciting because I knew you were a member of a Reconstructionist congregation. But so, so that's where I want to go eventually. But before we get there, let's let's just spend a little bit more time talking about Vacholashon. Yeah, I mean, I I I love Vacholashon, and as I shared before, um, and Rabbi Ruth Abish Magda, who's the rabbi for Vacholashon, was um, an early supporter of mine before people knew my name, and has been in my corner. Um, and invited me to be the rabbi. Um, I was like in rabbinical school for a few months. (laughs) 
and invited me to be the rabbi of uh, the camp during uh, Sukkot. And so I just, I, I want our listeners to know more about Cholashon because um, I think it's an amazing organization um, that existed before other organizations were like, like it. Um, and also, you know, you are the second executive director. Um, the first one was the founder. And, uh, you know, if you want to say whatever you want to say about uh, being a, a Black woman um, heading an organization that was headed by white Jews um, that serves Jews of Jews of color and their families. Well, yeah, we have been part of the Bohola Shone community uh, since my daughter was about 10 years old. You know, that's, I guess, almost 12 years ago. And the way I got connected was through Camp Bohola Shone. And so Camp Bohola Shone is the only um, overnight camp for Jews of color that addresses Jewish diversity and the in Jewish history in that way. And I had never had the camp experience. And so I was so thrilled to think, oh, is there a camp where I could send her that, you know, covers the intersection of these identities? You know, I was, I felt that I was very good at raising a Jewish child and very good at raising a black child, but this is something that combines both of those things and gets her the, the Jewish camp experience that I had not grown up with. And I sent her to camp. She um, immediately got strep throat. So I went up to camp and brought her back home. And the minute she was cleared, she said, I want to go back to camp. So I drove her back to camp. I got a call from her two days later. And she said, I have dislocated my thumb and I am not coming home. <laughs> so this is the first time I've sent anybody to camp. And I'm just at home just thinking, I want to go and scoop you up, but she's not coming back. And it's because she feels she belongs there. She feels this is something, she knows this is something she can't get anywhere else. And she's, she's gonna get as much of it as she can possibly get. And since that time, she has become part of a cohort of young Jews of color who came up through Camp Baholashon, who came up through the Baholashon community. And they are these vibrant, uh, Jews of color who are so strong in their identity and so connected to one another. They're able to um, address that shared experience they have as young Jews of color of their generation. And it's, it's what Bohola Shon is for. You know, we were founded 20 years ago by Diane Tobin, who had adopted a Black child. And it immediately changed how she viewed the Jewish community. You know, she began to think about, you know, that that first touch of bringing her baby to events and immediately realizing that the Jewish community could do a lot better. You know, it started by getting together support groups and discussion groups for parents who are raising young Jews of color. And from there began to expand outward. You know, today we uh, do diversity trainings in a variety of Jewish organizations around the world. You know, we have events, Kabbalat Shabbats, that incorporate many different Jewish identities. Uh, we continue to have groups for mentors and leadership. And all of that is based on the idea that young Jews of color need the resources to feel that they belong in the Jewish community and that it's our responsibility to go ahead of them and prepare the Jewish community for them. And I, I'm 
so proud to be part of this organization and to be leading this organization as, as a Jew of color. You know, when I look at, when I look at these young people who are coming up through this program and through this community, I really realize that in terms of Jewish elders, you know, I am, I am stepping into being a Jewish elder and we need more Jewish elders and being in a position of leadership helps me to fill that role. I, I have young Jews of color reach out to me all the time. Just kind of, to, I almost feel like just to say hi or just to say, wow, you exist, you know? And it's, it's so special to me. It's so special to, to me to know that, that I can be there. I, I can represent and they can know that that possibility exists within the Jewish community. You know, Sandra, I can't imagine how many young Jews of color see you and see your face and say, my face can be a rabbi. You know, that's something that I can do. That's could be part of my experience that I feel that that is the point for me. That is the point of stepping into this role is, is to be able to provide that perspective and to be able to use my own perspective as a Jew of color. When, when we are making decisions, when we're creating events, when we're reaching out to other people, you know, when I reach out, I, I want to build relationships with other Jews of color in leadership roles, for example. And isn't that incredible that we can work together, that we can be in these positions of power and, and be in these rooms where things happen and, and make change and be change. It's so interesting that you said that, Marcella, because... Um before Sandra came to work at Reconstructing Judaism, uh, she was one of the alumni reps, one of the rabbinic reps to our strategic planning committee that met, convened over the last year. And we adopted a, a goal uh, as one of the core goals about advancing, uh, about advancing racial justice, both in the, like participating and helping to shape those efforts in the wider world and also doing that work within the Reconstructionist movement. And then so when Sandra shifted into coming on to staff, that was one and only one of several steps that we're trying to take to really bring that to life. And, and one of the things that we're really bringing to it is like the work that we need to do to transform majority white spaces uh, and also the work that we want to do to create spaces for Jews of color to be together on their own, on your own, like that it's, that both are necessary, that it's not only about integration, that it's also that, that there is, there's a, there's, there's um, energy that is unleashed when you, when you come together. And that's true. I mean, I know that, I know that from women's spaces, I know that from queer spaces, like that, that we want, you know, you, we want to be able to move. It's not, I, that, it need not be either or. Um, and, and you want to foster, we want to foster both. Yeah, absolutely. Like we're, we're a multiracial Jewish organization that that's really important to what we do. And one of our, our great challenges we have is navigating that within our organization, you know, because not all of us are Jews of color and how, do, how do we create those spaces and yet also create spaces where we are all connecting and we are all collaborating. Um, and we really hope that we can serve as an example, you know, whenever possible you know, of the idea that we can do both, that both can be happening within a functional organization. I, I so want to learn with you and from you because I, I, that's what I hope for, 
for the organization that is reconstructing Judaism, like for the, for the collection of people that we want to, you know, mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's essential. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, one of the things I've, I'm learning is, and, um, is helping or having conversations with um, Jews who benefit from white privilege understand that that black and brown people are, are having very, very different experiences in, in Jewish spaces. And um, the how just, I'm just often surprised that, um, that maybe not surprised, but that, that white people in, in this country, white, even white Jews in this country have this idea that that's how I experience it. Um, that must be how everybody else experiences it and not recognizing that people have different experiences and black and brown people understand very well that the diversity of experiences that people have in this country. Um, but I am just really excited that you are um, the executive director of Ahola Shon and I'm just, I love working with you guys and um, want to continue doing that and anything that I can do um, to support the whole show, and I, I please, please reach out. Thank you, Sandra. That's incredible. Yeah, yeah. And I, I want to echo the same, both, like, both as a. I'm, I'm very proud that Reconstructing Judaism and Bacholashon are both members of the Jewish Social Justice Roundtable, and I think that that kind of um, exemplifies some of the some of the shared commitments that we have. And I just want to say how personally thrilling it was to me when you were um, announced, when it was announced that you were the new executive director. It was so exciting when your name was announced that you were rising up to leadership because we, knew, we know that you are a member of Or Shalom, which is our wonderful Reconstructionist congregation in San Francisco. So that was just, I, I often think about like, there are these things that are expressive of Reconstructionist commitments. And, um, and it's so it is so obvious um, and it is so joyful that, that, that they get made manifest in the world. And so I, I'm, just, I'm just thrilled that we have, in addition to the shared organizational commitments and the shared personal commitments, that there's that reconstructionist connection as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've, we've been part of the Orshalom community for many years. I mean, my, my daughter's bat mitzvah, my son's bar mitzvah happened you know, three years ago. And I've, I've just loved being part of that community. And in particular, you know, recently, I, I had the opportunity to be supported by the community when my grandfather passed away, who I was very close to. And I, I worked with my rabbi to try to think about how to mourn him Jewishly, because um, my grandfather's family are not Jewish. They are Baptist Christians and would, who have been very supportive, by the way, of, of me and of my Jewish journey and of my family and of our life cycle events. You know, that's the thing about Or Shalom is that um, my entire family was there like extended family for all of these wonderful events for my daughter's bar mitzvah, mitzvah and, you know, explaining to the congregation and to the community what was going on and welcoming them and allowing them to feel that they were participating. You know, I had 
this row of uncles in, you know, church hats because they knew that they needed to cover their heads you know, instead of taking their hats off in this Jewish space. And just thinking how, how amazing it was that my family could be there together and, and feel that they were in a welcoming space together, whether or not they were Jewish, whether or not they were white. Um, it's, it's been so fulfilling to me. But so my grandfather was always the center of these events, you know, despite not being Jewish, you know, the elder sitting there and, you know, being respected. So I knew that he would never have had a problem with me mourning him Jewishly. But at the same time, I wanted, I wanted to think about it from his perspective and what he would have felt honored him from his tradition. Um, you know, the thing about, about death and about mourning is that the, the Christian clock and the Jewish clock are very different. The Jewish clock begins the moment someone is buried. And that's when we kick off all of our mourning practices. Whereas it's very different with Baptists and with non-Jews. You know, it may take, as it did with my grandfather, you know, a week, 10 days before you get to that point. And, and so for me, this was the first time that I had been the, you know, the primary mourner, one of the primary mourners, mm -hmm. you know, of, with someone who I cared about. And I, I was pretty antsy thinking about, you know, I, I want to be doing this. I want to be saying Kaddish. I want, I want, I want to be connected to that while also supporting my family and doing all of the, all of the American business of, of death at the same time, you know, caskets and um, all, all kinds of things. And with my rabbi, I discovered a way that I could connect to Jewish mourning, which is that I, I cast on a shawl. You know, I, I had not knit during the pandemic. I thought I would. I did not knit. I did not bake bread. That was not <laughs> what I was connected to at that time. But I, I, I cast on, you know, triple high. Mm. And I, I just started knitting, you know, and, and sitting there going, going to the cemetery and all, all of the mundane tasks around letting somebody go. I was knitting a shawl. And, and I didn't even know where I was going with it. I was just knitting the triple high, you know, row by row by row. And when I was done, I realized I had a prayer shawl. And, you know, the next day I was able to start saying Kaddish. And that bridge really saved me. It, it really allowed me to feel that I was connected, that I was connected to something, that I was doing something Jewish. I, I just wasn't saying Kaddish. And that so much exemplifies how I feel about Reconstructionist Judaism, you know, building my ritual to build a, a Jewishness that matters to me and that I can pass on to my children with my stamp on it. And then they can make their own choices and build on that. I mean, it's so gorgeous, Marcella, so gorgeous. And when I talk about reconstructionism, I talk about how we have the opportunity and even the obligation to create the Jewish future that we want to live in, that we want to pass on to our children. So I feel like you've just, we're, we're, we're kind of at time and you've just uh, knitted it all together to, you know, <laughs> to keep it the, the, the fiber theme of where we started with your children, with raising your children. Um, and, and an integration of their Jewish and their Black identities, the work that you're doing with B'chol Hashon, and, and then this, this absolutely gorgeous uh, and meaning-filled meaning 
way that you were able to navigate this huge loss for you. I'm so sorry for your loss. And I'm so moved by the ways that you honored your grandfather and took care of yourself across your families, across your, your, your background and, and your, your present. Yeah. I just want to take a little rabbi prerogative and, um, just say some Torah, you know, like this week is the Torah portion of Chukat and next week is Balak and they're usually, well, not usually, but often put together, but this time they're separated. So like this week's Torah portion, there's a lot of death, like, um, Miriam dies, um, Aaron dies or he's about to die. And, 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 you know, Moses is all alone, <laughs> Moses is all alone and he, he's, he's trying to figure out what to do with his grief. You know, he strikes a rock out of anger after God asking, says, you know, talk to the rock. And, and, you know, Moses is in his grief, I think rightfully so strikes the rock because that's, he's in mourning. And then, and then next week, uh, we get this odd story of this guy, uh, Balak and Balaam, Balaam, who was sent to curse the Israelites, to, to curse um, the Jews, and then on his journey uh, meets Israelites. And from there we get the blessing Matovu. Um, and Balaam winds up falling in love with us and says, how awesome are your tents? How beautiful are your sacred spaces? So I'm bringing all this up to say, you know, to, to honor your, your, your mourning and grief and, 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 and out of that, you found this blessing, um, to knit this prayer shawl. And, um, I just wanted to offer that. And may you also continue to find, to find blessings in, in everything. And that as we know, grief is not a linear process. It's a weird process. Um, and so thank you so much for offering that and for sharing that story, your story. Thank you. Um, I think we're going to wind down. Marcella White Campbell, thank you so much for this yes, really you. rich conversation. Thank you. It was so great to be in conversation with you. For more information and links, you can look on Hashivenu's website, which is hashivenu.fireside.fm. You can also find more resources on reconstructingjudaism.org and on Ritual Well. And to learn more about Bacholoshon, you can also check out globaljews.org and globaljews.org forward slash camp. And please subscribe and rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Rabbi Sandra Lawson. And I'm Rabbi Deborah Waxman. And you've been listening to Hashi Benu, Jewish Teachings on Resilience. <laughs>